Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Irish Economics Podcast. Today I'm joined by Jared Brady, Chief Economist with IBEC, to give some insight into the COVID-19 crisis from the viewpoint of industry. We've heard a lot of numbers over the last few weeks, but it's also important to understand what exactly are the underlying problems facing industry, the problems that are driving these figures. Among the measures discussed, Jared emphasises the importance of liquidity supports for industry. It's important to note that this conversation was recorded just before the Irish government announced additional liquidity supports. So while this and other points highlighted by Jared are as important as ever, it is worth bearing in mind that a number of additional liquidity supports have come on stream in the last couple of days. Jared, it's great to have you on board here just to discuss what exactly is happening uh, from an industry perspective. Thanks for having me, Niall. Uh, you very much appreciate it. No worries. Um, okay, so maybe we could start off by just discussing uh, when things were kicking off. What would be the signals coming from industry I- initially? What sort of struggles were they facing? So what's what we've seen so far um, kind of mirrors the labour market. So in the labour market, there's half a million people now on the COVID payment. There's uh, 200,000 who are already on the live register, and then there's another 130,000 and and growing on the wage subsidy scheme that the government have put together. And if you think of that, it's it's one in every four people of working age now reliant in some way on the state for their income. And it broadly actually reflects, the the labour market reflects what we're hearing from members. So two weeks ago, I suppose, what companies were asking us is, how long will I stay open and how will I pay my staff? Um, the answer to the first question most of them have received by now because they've they've got the list of essential and non-essential companies. Um, we've looked at the numbers on that and about 35% of people worked in companies that are fully closed after the publication of that list. Um, a little bit more than uh, about 40% work in companies that are limited in some way. So either part of the sector is open and part of it is closed or they work in a services company where the, the office might be closed, but they're working from home. And then you've got about a third of, of workers, a lot of them in the public sector, who are working in companies that are that are fully open and open, uh, or, or organizations that are fully open. So the calls we've gotten that in the last two weeks reflected that, uh, then there were a lot of questions about how will I pay my staff? Um, a lot of people saw this coming down the line over coming over the few weeks, the closure coming, and they were asking, how am I going to pay my staff when, when turnover drops? 
Um, the wage subsidy scheme deals with part of that. Um, and, and now the questions have turned to two things. Uh, the first is how long will I stay closed uh, is a massive question because the economic impact of this crisis is all about the, the public health uh, measures. It's not like a, like the 800,000 people uh, or, or the vast majority of them who are on income supports now are there because we have made a decision, the right decision to, to take uh, public health measures and put public health first. Um, how long those measures stay in place and whether people stay at home, whether we can flatten the curve actually really matters for, for the economic outcome. And then the second question that they're asking now uh, from, from members is, uh, when will I get paid? Because a lot of people haven't got paid by the people they supplied to in the first quarter of the year. Uh, they haven't got paid by those people that they supplied to. Um, and so you, you might have a, have a company that sells into restaurants or hotels um, for a food company, for example, a lot of those companies haven't got paid for things they have already supplied. Um, and those that are getting paid, I suppose, are paid uh, or are getting paid on timelines that they had never planned for. So the next question that comes for uh, pretty much every company, big and small, we're seeing it across our membership where the question is, how will I pay my bills? Um, still wages, even in the services sector, which is heavily labor intensive, still about 30% of the costs excluding the, the kind of input uh, costs that you have um, the the kind of fixed costs uh, rent insurance utility bills all make up 30 percent of of the total costs of the business and a lot of companies now are looking at those costs and saying well I can't pay them because I have no turnover and that's kind of where they where, where they stand and, and that's across almost every sector and and across companies of all sizes you know companies in good shape in normal times who just the, the, no one has a plan for 100 percent drop in turnover so how exactly does the shock being experienced at the moment compare to that experienced in 2008 in a normal recession um what you usually see is companies start to lose turnover over a period of about six to nine months um, that you might lose 10, 20 percent of turnover. At, you know, in a, in, a, in a bad recession, that's the kind of thing that happens. Uh, what's very different about this recession is that it's very different even than extreme recessions. So the, the most extreme case we can think of in recent Irish history is, the, is what happened to the construction sector during the the, the aftermath of the bubble bursting in 2008. Um, the construction sector, even at that time, and the velocity of that loss was just enormous, was a 50% loss in turnover over the first two years. What's happened to a large chunk of, of companies, about a third of the workforce or a little bit more work for these companies, um, is that over the course of less than a week, they've lost 100% of their turnover. Um, so when you have um, something like one in four people of working age uh, working for one of these companies um, and then this recession happens over the course of a week where you have really large fixed costs left outstanding. So in a normal recession, if you know that next month your demand is going to go down, you can adjust. You can talk to your landlord. You can start to talk to revenue. You can start to talk to people who are going to be uh, who you're going to owe money to at the end of the process and you can start to work it out and adjust your your business model and um, when you lose 100 percent of your turnover in a week there is zero time to adjust and that's what we've seen over the last week uh, two weeks is that an awful lot of people are working in companies who have had no time uh, whatsoever to adjust and um, 
and recessions are, are a function uh, like distance of velocity and time, right? This recession is so different than a normal recession in that the velocity is is really, really much quicker. Um, it's not six to nine months, it's two weeks. Um, and what really matters now is time. How long does this recession go on for? Uh, and those public health measures, which are crucially important from a public health point of view, the longer that they are necessary, and they are necessary, um, the longer that they're necessary, um, the worse it gets, the worse that uh, the longer people spend at 0% of, of, of what they plan for in terms of demand. And it's very, very difficult when that goes on for a long time without some kind of support from outside uh, for companies to start back up again. Um, because what happens, I suppose, is that you know your, your wages are taken care of under this wage subsidy scheme but it still leaves you even in services companies like a restaurant or a pub or or, or retail with about 30 percent of your costs things like insurance rates rents which all still have to be paid for um even if you are shut down so there are many scenarios for recovery once the COVID 19 crisis is brought under control some people refer to a quick return to economic activity, a V-shaped recovery. But as time goes on, I think there's a creeping expectation that social distancing will be here for a bit longer than originally envisaged. The general discussion seems to be centering around the gradual reintroduction of economic activity. And my, interpreta my interpretation of such a gradual shift is that the likelihood of a U-shaped recovery is more likely. How are businesses shaped in such a context? where recovery is gradual and perhaps supports are not in place to deal with that? I suppose the, the, the point about this velocity question and, and the 100% loss rather than a kind of a gradual loss of 10, 20 or 30% turnover to 100% overnight is that businesses have no plan, uh, no way of adjusting. They're basically in, like people have called it a deep freeze, but it's worse than that in that while they're in the deep freeze, the, the the turnover has gone to zero um, and, and it's very difficult for a company to get out of that so V-shaped recovery I suppose is only possible if there's more liquidity support into the economy um, it's not just about companies going to the wall which they will like we, we expect there will be a spike in liquidations over the coming weeks because a lot of companies might hold three weeks cash particularly in the SME sector and when your turnover goes to zero and you still have outgoings, maybe 30% of your costs are fixed costs that are still there and you still have to pay them. Um, you just can't uh, you can't survive for long. Uh, and even for those companies who do survive, they might open their doors in a month's time or two months' time whenever the public health measures or the need for them subsides. But it takes a long time for those companies to bring customers back because you know the, the behavior of customers will change and people will be cautious. It takes time to restaff. It takes time to replace any suppliers which you've lost because suppliers might go to the wall. Um, and then what we put in place, I suppose, so far, a lot of the supports are about a deferral strategy. It's about putting things off for a couple of months so that companies have some breathing space. But that can only be the first step to ensuring that the, that a recovery takes place qu as quickly as possible. Because a lot of companies, and, and we see it coming down the line, when the public health measures end, because we've chosen a deferral route rather than a liquidity route in terms of the policy answer to this, uh, when the crisis ends, the first knocks on your door uh, before even customers get as far as you, um, 
is will be the suppliers that you owe money to from the first quarter of the year who you haven't paid. There'll be your landlord, your bank, utilities, the local authority looking for rates, and, and, and indeed the revenue commissioners. So there's a lot of companies out there who have gone into this, have gone to zero turnover, and face a wall of debt of debt um, when they when they get out of it. Um, people they've owed money to and has been deferred for a while. So I think we've been saying from a policy point of view, you have to be able to give people the space by giving them low-cost loans, by giving them uh, more solid deferrals from a tax uh, point of view uh, and, and rates, by looking at uh, credit guarantees that you allow people more structure, more time to work these things out, and it allows them to uh, to work them out in a kind of a structured way. What we're doing at the moment probably is that we're going to store up our problems uh, for a couple of months until this uh, passes, and then we're in for a slow, difficult, fractious recovery where people are fighting with the revenue, with their landlords, with the utilities, because they don't have the money to pay straight away. And that uh, that means that, that the idea of a V-shaped recovery is, is out the door uh, without supports put in place. So when you said deferrals, you mean postponing payments till they're back in business, basically? Yeah, and, and that's that's kind of what we've been we've been doing um, as a kind of a first line of response is to is to postpone things. Uh, but postponing things doesn't really work in the long term because when things go back to normal, you have low margin businesses who are starting to only recover from a period where they had no turnover and they have lots of, of outgoings that have been accruing and that they're going to have to all pay at once or over a period of time. And it just makes uh, it a lot more difficult for uh, for companies to start to invest again, to start to plan for the future or even just get back into business. So most economists would agree that the textbook solution to a crisis like this is for governments to spend to offer supports for industry and households. And there has been considerable supports offered in Ireland to date. So most commentators would probably expect more support to come online in the coming weeks, and few would argue against the fact that this is probably necessary and the right thing to do. But I know you mentioned additional liquidity supports, but can you give us some further insight on the types of supports the industry need right now? So, so I suppose we've kind of said there's four, uh, I guess, buckets of policy. There's four kind of um, ways that you can help uh, with that liquidity crisis. Um, the first is low-cost loans. Uh, the argument for, for that and, and an overarching argument for all of this is that uh, the NTMA um, raised uh, €6 billion, Euro, which is about the cost, actually, of the of the proposals uh, to the exchequer in gross terms. Now, in net terms, they'd be paid down to maybe 3 or $4 billion after loans are repaid. But about €6 billion Euro they raised, and a quarter of a percent was the, was the interest rate um, on, on, that, uh, on that borrowing. They, there's, there's a way of thinking about this back in 2011, where you had 6, 7, 8, 9, and uh, higher uh, interest rates at the point where you were making policy decisions. It's difficult to make those policy decisions. It should be easier now, because when interest rates are that low, when the cost of borrowing is that low, it's almost impossible to do too much. Um, but it's very, very easy to do too little or to underestimate uh, the scale of the of the crisis that's out there. And it's very clear to us talking to members, the scale of the liquidity crisis is enormous. Um, so there's four things you can do. One is this idea of low-cost loans. If the state can borrow at a quarter of a percent, but the interest rate facing companies out there in a normal 
uh, kind of borrowing environment in the economy is four or five percent, even with state backing at the moment. Uh, like it doesn't make sense. Um, so we've said, look, the state can can lend to companies and lend at fairly low interest rates, even if it's just for a 12-month period that the interest rate is low and it goes back to normal afterwards. Um, the second thing that, uh, that the government can do is that it can make sure that the private sector continues to provide products that are necessary by putting in place guarantees. So one of the things that happened in 2008 is that uh, credit insurance for exporters, the market for that in the in the globe was dominated by five companies. Those companies started to withdraw basically from the market because exporting became very risky because you didn't know whether you were going to get paid. That will more than likely start to happen again and it means that Irish exporters can't, uh, particularly SME exporters, can't take the risk of sending product abroad. So the state can step in there with a guarantee. The same for things like invoice financing and even for just normal new loans or refinancing of existing debt um, that businesses will need to do when they're restructuring because of the crisis. Uh, the third piece that we can do, and we, we are doing some of it in a kind of an ad hoc fashion. We know companies are talking to revenue all the time about maybe if they're not able to pay their VAT that is owed or they're not able to pay some of their bills to revenue, um, that they're finding out new terms or negotiating new terms. But you can put that on a kind of a more formal and more official footing. And you also need to do similar things about rates, which are so important for a lot of SMEs, particularly kind of local um, retail-focused SMEs. Uh, and then the fourth is small firms. We see this in Germany and the UK and elsewhere. Really small firms aren't going to take on debt because they can't afford it. They're not capable of dealing with very complex financial instruments. So what the German and UK governments are doing are, are basically just giving them cash. They're saying, you've been a good taxpayer for, for a number of years. You're not going to be a good taxpayer probably this year, but in future, we hope you will be a good taxpayer again. And this year, we're going to give you some money instead. And, and the German government, for example, are giving uh, small firms, very small firms, about 15,000 over a course of three months to basically pay the fixed costs for them uh, in the hope that they survive and then continue to pay taxes and, and pay that back in the future. Um, so there's kind of four ways that you can deal with it. Um, in total, we've costed those measures at about 6 billion gross. Once loans are paid back, it's probably 3 to 4 billion. You're talking about 1, 1.5% to national income. And when you're facing a drop that could be anywhere we've seen numbers between 8% and 15% to national income in GDP, it's not a huge amount of money. And, and as I said, because borrowing costs are so low, there's a much bigger danger of not doing enough than there is of doing too much. How much additional, how much in addition to what's currently on the on the table would, would you envisage? Yeah, so, so we can look at um, a, a good measure of this. The, the European Commission have put in place a new, um, a new state aid framework. So state aid basically regulates how much governments can give to businesses in terms of supports for research, in terms of supports for working capital or anything else in, the, in, in between. Um, those state aid rules are usually pretty strict um, because they don't want governments uh, you know, benefiting their own domestic companies too much. But for the purposes of this crisis, they've essentially given open reign. Um, so you have countries like Germany who have been given permission to give up to a billion to individual companies, never mind to, to sectors or to the whole economy. Um, what we're seeing across the economy is um, is about 
uh, an EU average, and, and these numbers coming from the Commission, about an EU average of fiscal supports, direct fiscal spending is about 2.5% of GDP, and Ireland is in that space, um, you know, with our wage subsidy scheme, with the uh, measures put in place uh, to support the health system, that, that we're doing the right things on those sectors. Uh, at a European level, liquidity supports then, so guarantees, loans, um, those kind of things that we're talking about for business, are closer to 16% of GDP. Even mid-sized countries, the likes of um, Portugal, have put 13 billion behind this. Sweden, 9 billion. Um, uh, you look at even countries like Estonia, have put about 2 billion behind it. Um, Luxembourg and Malta are about three, 400 million. So, so we're probably late um, to these kind of supports. Uh, our hope is over the coming weeks, and, and really is a matter of weeks, because liquidations and businesses will go to the wall very very quickly this is a this is a really fast moving event uh, that the government will take advantage of the state aid rules low borrowing costs and the fact that the, that the european commission have have also paused um, the european council have paused the, the european fiscal rules for for this period to allow people to do exactly this and, and it's all about SMEs, actually, for, for the most part, and, and mid-caps, um, that the ECB have extended their purchasing program uh, of commercial paper to large corporates. And, and there's a lot of money behind that, a wall of money there to, to buy commercial paper of corporates, short-term debt, to fit their liquidity needs, and it will meet their liquidity needs in a lot of cases. So then if you get down into mid-caps and small companies, uh, those guys are the ones who really, really need the support from the government because uh, they're not going to be getting it from the monetary system or, or they're not going to be getting it quick enough. Uh, the best examples we've seen, I've talked a little bit about Germany. Uh, Switzerland actually has has um, done fantastic work in this space. It's a bigger economy than ours, but not by a huge amount. And they've put 20 billion uh, initially of support out there for SMEs, and they've extended that to 40 billion now in, in recent days of the exact same types of measures that we're talking about, about 6% of GDP that they've put behind that in direct, in direct supports and direct measures. Um, and they've got it out really, really quickly. So companies are getting approval in three, four days um, and, and at you know pretty good terms and close to zero interest rates, state guarantees up to uh, of of 100% up to a million and uh, and about 85% up to 20 million of of borrowing so really really strong measures in place and a lot of these needn't cost money unless people default on them and um, things would have to get really really bad for this to cost the government any more here than maybe one one and a half percent of gdp so, so from our point of view uh, and listening to our members it makes a huge amount of sense if I was to be critical one one thing that comes to mind is that uh you're comparing a lot of GDP percentage of GDP in Irish Irish GDP versus maybe what they're doing in Germany as a percentage of German GDP. But imagine, for example, the structure of the economy is very different. So there, for to them, industry is perhaps like maybe manufacturing industry would be much more important than it would be here. So if we went with the equivalent, well then it seems like a windfall for a lot of industry. I, I think um, if you look across the sectors, it's not just, I think in the initial sweep of sectors that were impacted by this, it was very much focused on hospitality, on retail, and particularly the, the what they call non-essential retail, the everyone bar pharmacies and, and grocery. And it was focused on, on place, uh, uh, sectors like construction, but actually large chunks of manufacturing, 
large chunks of the broader economy are all going to be impacted by it. So the makeup, the mix of the economy doesn't really matter. I've heard the argument, which, you know, there is some truth to that GDP in Ireland is a different denominator, but even if you put it in GNI star, mm. it doesn't change it that much. You've got this enormous risk. And if things aren't bad, right, the measures that we talk about in terms of guarantees and loans, if, if things don't turn out to be that bad, well, the government doesn't lose out because the guarantees never kick in and the loans get paid back. Um, on the other hand, if things do turn out to be very bad and you've been waiting to do things slowly, to, to wait until things were very, very clear and you could see the macro numbers before you um, before you see uh, before you take action, well then the damage will already have been done. So so if you wait two or three months and this becomes about uh, going from income supports for households and you skip straight towards reboot, the the view we've taken and I think it's 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 right is that the reboot uh, the le- the less you do in the mid uh, in the midpoint for liquidity for for SMEs in particular the more expensive the reboot becomes um that you're going to have to give a lot more in terms of uh, a fiscal boost to the economy in terms of public investment projects in terms of uh, supports for individual sectors to get the economy back up and running again when this all ends if you haven't done enough to support the economy in the midterm um while, this, while the, the public health measures are in place. So the way I think about it is this, um, no matter what route you take, you're not saving money. This is a big, deep uh, recession. I've talked about velocity. It is an enormous downward velocity in the economy over a very short period. Um, and if you don't take the right measures at the outset, you're going to end up paying for them at the end. And if you don't take the and if you take the right measures, then you might have to spend a bit less at the end uh, in terms of getting the economy back up and running. And that's the that's the choice facing policymakers. There's no cheap or easy option. Um, and and without those supports put in place in the in the mid uh, in the midpoint while we're in these public health measures to keep SMEs alive, well, then there's not going to be enough taxpayers uh, to pay taxes. After this recession is over, there's not going to be enough companies there to hire people back into jobs, and your V-shaped recovery turns into a U-shaped recovery with a very long, drawn-out uh, bottom to it. So let me first said that I'm pretty much in agreement that the solution is to keep the engine running uh, through supports like those that you propose. Uh, definitely, we need to act quickly, and it's better to act quick, maybe spend less uh, precisely and carefully, than to have a perfect plan in place, but then implement when it's too late and ineffective. If I were a cynic, one criticism is that we are keeping firms on life support and are creating an expectation that they will be kept alive by the government if they cannot keep themselves alive. There's now an option to fall back on this support instead of finding a way out themselves. I'm not saying this is likely, and if if I were to do some empirical analysis, I'd probably find that to be a very low propensity to act in this way, but to maybe cut off all the doubters before we even get to making these sort of criticisms, is there a way we can build in a fail-safe in these sort of supports to minimise the chance of this happening in the first place? Well, one, th- one thing you can do, and I, I'd be sympathetic to that argument in a normal recession, right? that you're not going to keep companies alive who are, I guess, become zombie companies, this problem that people talk about. I'm not sure what the scale of it actually is mm-hmm. because you have disagreements over what a zombie company is, right? But but that the state ends up supporting companies who should have gone out of business in a normal recession 
um, and those businesses are weak businesses. There's no firm entry um, because, the, you know, incumbents are protected by the state and then there's no firm exit and it, it has a long-term impact on productivity, right? And, and, and it becomes a bad policy decision. But I guess the difference in this is that these companies aren't losing demand because they're bad companies. A lot of them are very, very strong companies in normal times. They're, they're losing demand because the state has asked them to shut down to support public health. Um, so when they come back, um, they should be still pretty well-run companies. They're not companies that would have gone out of business in normal trading times. And because this is so different, uh, I think that, that that argument holds a lot less weight in this kind of a recession than it would, say, if it was a normal kind of um, business cycle recession, for example, sure, yeah. where you don't want to be you don't want to be picking winners. I I, th I think yeah, in a normal recession, I'd be more sympathetic towards that. But in this recession, and particularly the kind of no regrets piece, um, there is a chance that this goes on for a month or two months, and we get back not to normal straight away because there's damage done. And and look, labour markets, um, you know, have a, have long term scarring. No matter what comes out of this, uh, and companies will have long term scarring in terms of their risk appetite investment profile and consumers will have that in terms of how they're willing to to spend or, or how they how they change their behavior um but you can get back to something like a normal pretty quickly and, and we kind of confident for that because the business model was strong if the public health measures work on a global level things can get back get back to normal maybe not v-shaped but but a pretty sharp view um if on the other hand the measures aren't taken the risk is that it just takes an awful long time that that what might take nine months goes to two or three years and in an environment where bond yields were where the cost of borrowing was high uh, you would have a lot more to think about and the trade-off would be there for government where they'd really have to think hard about what the costs or potential costs of this are in the current environment they can take that risk and really should take that risk because um you don't uh, you don't have a huge amount of uh, of risk and downside risk in in the strategy of doing as much as as it takes um, and look we've had we've had discussions in in europe about uh, corona bonds about monetary financing about lots of other things over the last couple of months but fundamentally it remains because borrowing costs are so low and the ecb is committed to keeping borrowing costs low it remains uh, the gift of government still um despite all the other ideas out there um to do the right thing and and a lot of governments around europe are doing the right thing in terms of liquidity supports and and we'll only see i guess um like so that, that counter argument could be right um i think i think it's wrong and I, i'd be fairly confident of it but um, if it is right, we'll find out afterwards because there is going to be a differential across different countries and how they approach the public health approach and how they approach the uh, the business support approach and the household support approach. Sure. Um, so if you had, would you have a lot of members who would perhaps, if this goes on much longer, they're going to say, well, we're going to the wall. What sort of, um, what sort of industries are we looking at that would be most exposed and how what sort of timescales are we talking about yeah so we've talked to an awful lot of companies i, I think in the last two or three weeks we've met i've been on 
between conference calls and and direct calls hundreds of of cfos or ceos of companies big and small and there's a general feeling out there particularly low margin industries that are cash intensive they need cash to continue to turn over and they have pretty low margins that there's going to be two waves to this uh, the first wave is companies that basically run out of cash quickly particularly smes and particularly uh, things like restaurants uh, things like small retailers um, and, and those kind of companies who maybe at, at a maximum in a lot of cases hold about three weeks cash um, they're going to run out of money very very quickly and and they'll go to the wall quickly um, the second phase of this is probably more longer term it's about that wall of debt that i talked about earlier that because we've deferred everything these companies are going to have to still pay their full year's debts, but they're going to have to do it having lost a quarter possibly of, of turnover. Um, and that means that you're going to have two things happen. One is that a lot of people aren't going to get paid uh, what they think they're going to get paid. Uh, and that's going to cause difficulties. And it's going to make people more cautious with their cash, which freezes the economy up. Uh, and the other thing that's going to happen is that a, a large group of companies are at risk of going to the wall when things normalize and um, that they'll come back they'll look at their at their balance sheets and they'll see look at all this debt we've accrued we will literally never be able to pay it back um, now they might not go to the wall straight away uh, but what it will do is that if you have a load of debt on your balance sheet you have a low margin business so particularly as i said retail hospitality and and others um, so some manufacturing as well. Uh, if you have a load of debt in your balance sheet and, and, and you have low margins, what ends up happening is you don't have the, have the wherewithal to invest, you don't have the wherewithal to grow, and competitors elsewhere um, in Ireland or, or outside Ireland in a lot of cases will, will eat your dinner because you don't have the capacity to, to do the right things for the business because you've got that kind of noose uh, that, that is uh, hung over from, the, um, from, the, from this crisis. Um, so it, the, the liquidity problem turns into a more longer term problem if it's not dealt with head on. Uh, and that's that's one of the big risks, actually, uh, in terms of that discussion about a V-shaped versus EU-shaped recovery. Uh, we've talked to an awful lot of companies who are left with that problem um, when things get better, even if they do survive. So there's going to be talk from a household point of view about people who owe money because of the crisis. And, and that conversation is going to happen from a business uh, community point of view as well. Um, so it's going to be very, very difficult um, over the next couple of months uh, to work that out. You made a very interesting point there about... Um it's almost like this can in interact with international competitiveness because some nations are given some support, some are not. And because the state aid rules have been relaxed, it seems that um, if, if some companies in Ireland are coming out of this, have, have experienced fewer supports than maybe German companies, there might be international competitiveness issues. So this could have a very long lingering effect in that context. And, and I think that's the that's the argument for dealing with it up front, right? Is that it, there's costs involved, but there's a long-term cost of doing nothing. And because borrowing rates are low, the long-term cost of doing nothing is actually a bit higher than, and, and probably a lot higher, I think. They, that um, If you think of two companies, one has uh, basically uh, come out of the uh, out of the crisis 
um, and they're, let's say, a German company with low-cost loans from the KFW or one of the German state banks. Um, they've got low-cost loans. They've been able to restructure quite quickly, and they just get back to normal business uh, fairly fairly quick. Um, and you've got a company, an Irish company, who hasn't got that support bidding against them, um, but that has a lot of debt on their book and doesn't therefore have the kind of capacity because they, they're all low margin industries or a lot of low margin industries. They don't have the capacity to take on new projects and they can't build a new production line They can't because they can't afford to take on more debt or they can't afford to take huge orders because they don't have the working capital to, to pay for the, the inputs to produce those orders. Uh, and the effect of debt on the balance sheet of a lot of companies will have really, really long-term effects um, coming out of this. And if you think about losing a quarter out of a year, it's a really, really big blow um, to a company in the same way as losing 25% out of a quarter would be to an economy. Um, the wherewithal governments have to borrow to help finance the, the losses that the economy makes, most businesses don't have that wherewithal. So and that's why... It, it makes sense for the for the state to step in and basically it's to extend its own balance sheet for a period of time to 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 take on that uh, that challenge that that uh, a lot of SMEs have. Now, now there is a good argument that maybe the state should be careful, um, particularly when we talk about guarantees. Look, the Irish experience of guarantees isn't great. Um, but the, the, there's something we're going to have to get over fairly quickly. And you asked about the time period we're talking about here. Like we're talking, even talking to big enough corporates actually in recent weeks who were in very exposed sectors, we're talking about weeks and months rather than just, uh, than just uh, you know, over a couple of, uh, if this goes on till Christmas, there'll be in trouble. We're talking about mm. maybe a week, uh, maybe a couple of weeks, and and that's the big uh, that's the big challenge that we face. Uh, speed is the our, our perfect is the enemy of the good in in a situation like this, where sure. the velocity of of the recession is is just so so uh, rapid. So before we wrap up, we talked a lot in general terms. Can you give some insight into some industries that are perhaps most affected? I'd imagine, for example, if the virus left in the morning, luxury expenditures would be hardest hit. Have you any insight into the relative balance between the various industries? Yeah, I, th I think it's going to be really interesting to see. No, no more than like the Irish consumer, uh, just at a domestic level, came out of the crisis. Um, and if you talk to anybody in the in the retail or or that kind of consumer facing space from a company point of view we have these discussions all the time and the psychology of irish consumers change completely um where short-term debts credit card debts were paid down and are still being paid down 10 years afterwards at a rapid pace uh, compared to even most european countries uh, people don't want short-term debt um, people weren't borrowing for consumption purposes bar housing and and even we're borrowing quite a bit less for housing. Um, like so, there was there was a big, massive change, uh, and savings rates went up. Uh, even in response to Brexit, savings rates jumped. So we've got a lot more nervous Irish consumer. You could see that definitely happening. Um, sectors that are most exposed. I was talking to someone uh, the other day who runs a business uh, in a, in a coastal area. Um, tourism business. Uh, their season goes uh, basically summer season so it starts maybe march or april on a good year and it ends basically in september when kids go back to school 
that's how that how, how a lot of towns, particularly in the west of the country, stay alive over the summer period. What we're looking at now, um, if this runs on till August, September, then there is no summer period. Um, and you get into a situation where they're waiting till next summer before demand picks up. So, so you can see certain industries that are seasonal, for example, um, fruit, uh, veg, those kind of industries as well, where there's seasonality. And, and the cycle of this um, will will really leave them in the lurch. I think it'd be a mistake to think that this is just about it's just about shops and pubs and the things that are very very visibly closed to us actually. And and it'd be a mistake to think it's even just about um, the kind of consumer facing sectors. So we've seen manufacturing companies who are um, you know looking at lost demand and because they're in the car supply chain, they're in airplane supply chains. We've got uh, people who are impacted by the fact that that how hospitals have changed uh, their routines that they'd supply normally into hospitals for normal um, surgeries and, and, and operations that are happening. And they're not getting demand because hospitals are gone full time after the, the COVID-19. So everything from regional newspapers to manufacturers to aircraft leasing, um, all kinds of sectors that are impacted by this. And in the longer term as well, there, there's going to be changes um, in global supply chains and, and longer term impacts of this. So even if Ireland uh, comes out of this in the next couple of months, you're going to see global supply chains impacted for well over a year because people are trying to rebuild what they're doing. Air, airline industry probably is the, and, and the travel industry in general is probably a very uh, good example really long lead times and um, the the actual airlines themselves are unlikely to be to be leasing planes which flows the whole way down the supply chain to to the, and the whole way through that that economy and um, all the way down to people who are sub suppliers and manufacturing and um, so if you look at the irish economy at the moment there's about a third of employees are in are in sectors where they are closed the sectors are closed but there's a lot more who are in sectors which are impacted um, and the long-term growth of those sectors and the return to normality of those sectors might not be um, in the form that it currently has taken, even in the least impacted sectors uh, in, in areas like, like office-based work um, where people are working from home. The, the world that we're going to step back into when this is over is going to be very different than the world that, we, that we're in now um, in terms of people remote working and the impact that will have in the long term on commercial office, uh, the commercial office market, on on the construction industry, um, even on on uh, on the demand for for fuel and demand for public transport, and um, so so there's a huge amount of changes that could happen uh, out of this because it is such a sharp, unexpected shock. And on on the other hand, if consumer behaviour changes, people might be less likely to go abroad. And you could see domestic tourism pick up. So there's a there's a lot of questions that will come out of this that will basically depend on how households, um, how households react. Uh, and a lot of that is so unpredictable at the moment because nobody it, like like the main overarching uh, feeling out there I think is is kind of fear at the moment and and some grief. Um, but when it when this all ends and we start to get back to normal. My feeling is probably that that's going to take time, that it's going to happen in stages rather than one bang where we all go back on the train and on a Monday morning and go to work, you know. <laughs> um, that's going to that's gonna take a, a, a while and that process is going to be really tricky for a government 
um, if we have a government at that stage, it's going to be a really tricky thing to, to manage. So it might change lots of things. We've talked a lot about social dialogue, the kind of European model. It's not central wage bargaining. It's, it's basically policy um, focused, uh, trying to get social groups to talk about what kind of economy comes out of this. And uh, no matter what happens, we won't end up with the same economy when we went into it with. Um, and, and that's going to cause us a lot of challenges. Even from a globalization point of view, we heard comments from the US president in recent weeks, which were all about onshoring supply chains. Um, there's going to be a lot of reactions out there in the global economy to this, which are completely unpredictable, um, not just from a consumer point of view, but even from a policy point of view. And it's going to make things um, over the next few years very differential in terms of the amount of change that's going to happen. The tourism is something that would have crossed many people's minds, but fruit and veg and those sort of industries would be far from many people's minds. And it brings to light the importance of maybe household level measures and demand side measures to make sure people are back to their consumption patterns. And I think what, uh, what can't be underestimated, I suppose, is I've talked to people in professional services who have laid off staff. I've talked to people in advertising who've laid off staff. You can see what's happening in regional newspapers, for example, in terms of the layoff that, and, and even national titles because the advertising industry has collapsed. When, when you see uh, individual industries shut down uh, and shut down so quick, usually, as I said, in a normal recession, they have time to adjust and so do their suppliers and so does everyone down the chain. The economy has time to adjust. What's happened this time is so different because there's been zero time for adjustment. It's just gone from 100 to zero overnight. And the sectors that you'd never really expect to be the, the first to be hit from, from this point of view, even the transport sector, mm. um, is, is, uh, is a major, major impact. Um, and, and it's going to continue to grow over the coming weeks because the suppliers of suppliers, suppliers, aren't getting paid um, and that's what makes this liquidity question so important absolutely um okay i think we've covered pretty much everything um i know your time is precious uh thanks Stuart, for uh, for taking some time and i hope the listeners are able to handle two longford accents in one one conversation <laughs> the two two very rare longford economists yeah i uh whenever i go home and i start speaking to other people i, I slip back into it but hopefully i didn't <laughs> go too badly here now today anyway but uh, thanks very much <laughs> okay thanks very much now my thanks to George for taking the time to speak with me if you're enjoying the podcast give us a shout out on twitter at irish econ pod tell your friends and if you're an apple user a five star review makes all the difference all the best
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.